Let's begin here this morning. Have you ever felt like Jesus did not see you in your circumstances? Have you ever felt like our Lord was not around to be seen and to help? Have you ever experienced a storm that convinced you that you were just about ready to be overwhelmed and utterly devastated? Have you ever felt like the church didn't have a chance for influence in the midst of this cultural storm? Have you ever felt like the people of God have stumbled upon a time where we have no king to help with any kingdom influence? Have you ever been more ready to have Jesus Christ enter your life and experience and reshape it with his power and his presence? Do you ever dream and pray that God could use you for Christ's sake in this moment of our world? Do you ever dream and pray that God would use Calvary, us collectively together, for Christ's sake in this world in a great way that would make us all die smiling? Do you believe that's possible in the midst of of a world that seems to be coming apart and coming unglued? Could God use us as vessels to make Christ known in this dark world? If you answered yes to any of those questions, I'm glad you're here this morning. Because this message on John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, and a story that we are familiar with and yet will revisit afresh this morning, we'll find answers to those questions and our ponderings and our yearnings that Christ would show up and life would be different. Come with me to John chapter 6. This comes right after the feeding of 5,000 men. There were women and children. The crowd was larger. Took a little boy's lunch. Five loaves of barley and two pickled fish and fed the crowd. In fact, picked up after the crowd was totally satisfied. This is what we looked at last week. Twelve large baskets of leftovers. Now, if they went right down and got in a boat, they took 12 large baskets of leftovers and got in the boat. Jesus dismisses the crowd, commands them, you get in the boat and go across the other side. He went up on the mountain to pray. And then in the midst of them rowing across the Sea of Galilee, so susceptible as it's like this bull and the change in temperatures and the wind and the, the way the winds move, Pop-up storms would happen quickly and become tragic with their force and veracity. Jesus walks to his men who are frightened, shows them himself, and it changed everything about the circumstance. John 6, 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. 
when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this morning I want to go two different directions. One, first I want us to ponder this history. Look at this story. Master the details of this story. Now this appears in Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, there are a bit more details in Matthew and Mark, some of which we're going to pick up those strands that will help us in John chapter 6. This is the shortest account of this incident. Uh, with an economy of words, not including all the details that one could, John writes about Jesus walking on the water. So first we'll master the story. Secondly, Bible stories. I love Bible stories. But we have to go to work tomorrow. And we have to go through the normal and the usual the rest of the week. And we have to machinate through the problems that we're facing. I mean, what good is this story? How, how does this story, how is it useful to help us? Let me pull out three strands to speak into the vein of life. That's our plan of attack this morning. First, the history. Direction number one, the history. The storm's threat, fear, and the transforming presence of Christ. Now, as I said, the same account shows up in Matthew and in Mark. According to verse 17, they got into the boat. Now, they got into the boat because Jesus commanded them to get into the boat and go to the other side. He said, let me dismiss the crowd. You get into the boat and go to the other side. So they're in the boat. Why are they in the boat? They're in the boat because they want to obey Christ. So they're following him. We're going to come back to that in a moment. They're doing the right thing. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, according to verse 17, it's dark. It's at the night. Now, if he came to them, as a time illusion, another passage suggests, in the fourth watch of the night, he gets there between 3 and 6. So it's at least dark, and they're rowing against the prevailing wind. Now, if that's bad enough to go against the prevailing wind, you throw a storm on top of going against the prevailing wind, and it's a cocktail that's not good if you're a rower, uh, because they're rowing uh, without too much success, uh, we're told that the Sea of Galilee is like five miles across, maybe 16 uh, miles long at its longest. So it's not huge, but it is in a bowl shape down uh, below, and the winds blow and storms come up. It's dark, uh, and the allusion to darkness in verse 17 is an allusion not only to the time of day it was, it was at night, it's also an allusion to their emotional state. They were not in good shape. Uh, as this storm gets on, it's not only dark outside, it's dark inside for them. And they're trying to figure this whole thing out. It's both the elements in the mood. Now, Jesus withdrew, according to Mark 6, 
46, there was a purpose to his withdrawal. He went to pray. Don't miss the juxtaposition of these two. His followers are struggling, and he's praying. He's praying for them. He, he went up on the mountain. Uh, they have gotten four miles, which beyond halfway, uh, they're rowing. It's unsuccessful. Many of you have been around the Sea of Galilee. You can see it a long way across at certain places. And he's up on the mountain. It's dark, but the text records that he sees them. He sees their struggle. If nothing else encourages you, I want you to know that Jesus sees your struggle. And who has not walked in these doors and sat down for worship without facing a struggle? We're all fighting battles. Oh, how we love life. And this is not a downer to just be realistic about life in a broken world. It's not easy. It's hard. And we face stuff. And I want you to know that as we face stuff, Jesus is looking. And it gets better than looking. Jesus is praying. And it gets better than looking and praying. Jesus is coming. And uh, when he gets there, the calculus completely, entirely changes. I love that about this story. Be encouraged. Christ sees us struggling. Now they're rowing into a prevailing wind. John says nothing about Matthew 14's inclusion of Peter seeing Jesus and in a stroke of bold audacity, so famous for Peter's spirit, he gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. First couple steps were glorious. <laughs> he took his eyes off Jesus and he was convinced he was going to die and drown. And Jesus is right there when he cries out. Then he got in the boat. Now, when they first see him, according to Mark, they think he's a ghost. Now, if you're in the midst of a threatening circumstance on the sea, uh, you entertain some wild thoughts about, will I ever get out of here? And if you're entertaining those wild thoughts, and you look up, and you think you see a ghost, there are all kinds of superstitions in the first centuries that, the, that the, the, they're still around that the mariners who had died in the Sea of Galilee would haunt the seafarers in the storm, and it became a sense of, oh, if you see a ghost, when you're out there on a storm, you know, just make sure you put your house in order because that's it. You're going to be the next ghost out there because you're going to die. And so there they are, and they see some, oh, is that an old parish mariner's ghost out there coming toward you? They, they couldn't figure out what in the world is going on. Who is this? By the way, that's the right question. Because as soon as they figure out who it is, everything's resolved. But that's getting just a little bit ahead in the story. And so, um, according to Mark 6.52, the disciples are said to be astounded. Now, there are several astounding things here. There's the storm, the effort, the lack of progress. That's all astounding. The sight of what they couldn't figure out what it was, was a ghost. That, that's that's astounding. astounding. They were very, very frightened. That's astounding. 
But here's what Elsa said. They were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Then you ask, where did the 12 baskets go? Well, you could probably make a decent argument that the 12 baskets went in the boat with them as they left because they had gathered the fragments. So right in their lap lies the very evidence of the sufficiency of Christ. But the very next thing they faced, they become convinced that they're going to die. We have a natural tendency to miss what God has put right in front of us. <laughs> oh, you see, if I'd have been there, I'll tell you what, Eric. If I'd have seen that little boy's lunch feed the multitude, that'd been it. I'd have walked across the water myself, pulling the boat. You guys don't have to row. I'll take you through the storm. I know what I'd be. No, we would be just like them. A half a millisecond after an extraordinary expression of God's grace in the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, we would be back to that, gear, that awful gear in the transmission. We're going to die. This is it. There's a go they became exceedingly frightened. So Jesus comes to the boat, and he says, I am. They couldn't figure out who it was. He's very clear. He said, it is I. That's one English translation. Literally in the text, it's I am. Now, if you're a good Jewish boy or a good Jewish girl, and somebody says, I am, you think, hey, wait a minute. I am. I heard of him. He disclosed himself to Moses at the burning bush when Moses said, well, who am I supposed to tell the people of God that sent me down here? Tell them I am sent you. The eternal, self-existent, sufficient God. It's actually framed in a way that can be read, I will be, I will be whom I will be. I will be for you, the people of God, whatever you need to be. I am sufficient, contained within myself, and able, one in whom there is no lack, I am. And as soon as I am got in the boat, by the way, he also said, don't be afraid. Fear is terrible. And it's as common as it is terrible. And there are some fear-inducing things that we face in life, are there not? Oh, hear Jesus say to you this morning, fear not. Fear not. Why? I'm glad these two are together. I am, fear not. The reason we can fear not is because I am is with us. And when he got in the boat, everything changed. Now, by the way, one question the reader asks is, how many miracles are here? Here's Jesus walking on the water. I'd say that's pretty good. Um, by the way, if you created everything that is, and you created all matter, and you are sovereign over nature, and you created water, you can do whatever you want, include, including walk on the water. And so he did to show his glory. By the way, he wasn't an exhibitionist. This was not live simulcast on New Year's Eve, you know, so the whole world could watch it, some trait, trick done. No, in fact, the only people who saw it were the disciples. I am, do not be afraid. They said, it's Jesus. Get in the boat. And as soon as he got in the boat, they were to shore. How many miracles are here? They were four miles out, 
Still had some rowing to go. Bad storm. Storm stops. Jesus in the boat. Boom, they're at the bank. Oh, I get it, Eric. You know, they, they just got, they, they're, they're rowing hard, and they just couldn't see that they were in real shallow water, and they were just, they were right on the beach. No, not at all. It's miracle number two. Is it not? That somehow God, in Christ, moved the craft to the shore in an immediate act of his power and his grace. I mean, it didn't seem to be a problem for God to withdraw Elijah fantastically from the earth. Philip was out preaching in one place, and God said, well, you're done here. Let's go to some other place. And immediately he was taken to some other place. Do I understand what is reported? No, I just read what is reported and marvel at the genius and glory and power of God. Two miracles here. Okay. Please note that this was going really, really bad until the presence of Christ was manifest. And then everything changed. Verse 21, I love it. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Of course they were. And of course we are. By the way, one of the great questions that this story asks us, and we'll come back to it, is do we know of such gladness, or further stated, have we taken him into our boat? Oh, and I can't tell you what, Eric, that's, that's a nice Bible story. <laughs> it's great. It's good stuff. Yeah, I love those, those stories. Those are nice. Those are nice. I've got to go to work tomorrow. Why does this matter? How is it helpful? What difference does a king and his kingdom make in real life? Is this just Sunday speak and a nice lesson? Let's smile and go home. Or is this real grists for living? And if so, what and how? Does this matter in real life? It matters first in perspective. It helps our perspective. Three ways this story teaches us about real life. First is about perspective. At times, Jesus' coming can seem only to intensify our troubles. Have you noticed that? The disciples, many of them fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they're cruising along fine. I mean, Peter, James, and John were with Zebedee and Son Inc. fishing operation there, and they were fine. But then... John the Baptist drew some of their attention, and he said, Don't follow me, follow Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they start following Jesus. Oh, it must have been really good for them after that. I'll tell you what, if you obey Jesus, it's just smooth sailing for the rest of your life, and there'll be no problems. No, actually, they were introduced to problems in their commitment to Jesus that they didn't have before their commitment to Jesus. Yeah, but Eric, all you have to do is obey. Yeah, that's right. Trust and obey. Isn't that the way to go? But you know what happened when they obeyed? Jesus said, I'll tell you what, let me dismiss the crowd. You get in the boat and go to the other side. Oh, okay, yeah. I bet we won't even have to row. Jesus will probably give us a little, you know, he'll just blow us across the lake. No, in fact, the rowing was terrible. They almost died. They were eclipsed with fear in the midst of obedience. By the way, Paul would go on to say that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They face struggles. Is Jesus the way to go? Absolutely. 
Does throwing in your lot with Jesus means everything is way okay all the time? And it's just as Lawrence Welk used to describe with those bubbles, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. No, it's not. It's great and good and wise and the way to go. But it's not without its difficulties. And some of you are sitting here this morning in the midst of such difficulties. You have not been forsaken. You're following a master. And we are on our way home. And he is coming to us. And if he's in the boat, we can endure it. We can endure it. You see, some are astonished and surprised by this good way following Jesus and the hard way the enemy of our soul gives us along the way. It's like a Marine going to boot camp. United States Marine Corps, we celebrate one going off to boot camp and send them off. But man, we won't see them for a while. Two weeks later, we see them at church and say, wait, dude, what's wrong with you? I thought you went to the Marine Corps. Yeah, I did. What happened? I quit. Why? I didn't know we had to do any push-ups. What? What were you thinking? Do you understand what it means to be a Marine? Yeah, I didn't know any physical training was involved. That's all it was, was PT. I had all of that I could stand. I quit after 10 days. Dude, you didn't understand what it was like to be a Marine. In some way, people, and this is back to that triumphalism, oh, some TV preacher, Christianity, It'll all be wonderful. Well, eventually. But until then, there's tough things for people of faith to face. I've seen some lovely believers in Christ die some horrible deaths and suffer. Not because they didn't have a Savior, but because we live in a world that is broken and is cursed with sin's effects. And we're headed to a world that will be renewed and everything will be made new. In a broken world, everybody faces struggle. It's part and parcel of what it means to live. There is victory in Jesus, but ultimate victory that is manifested in the end. And along the way, that hope keeps us going. And on we trek. What difference does a king and his kingdom make? First, at times, Jesus' coming can seem only to intensify our troubles. If you are in the midst of an intensification of troubles, be of good cheer. Keep your head up. Keep your knees down. Let's look forward to that hope that will be realized yet in the future. Secondly, it is the word of Christ and his identity that changes everything. Look at verse 20. I am. Do not be afraid. The kingdom of God actually has a king, Jesus. A king who rules. He is Jesus Christ, an extraordinary king. The forces of nature were working against these disciples. The wind, the storm, the sea, adversity. Have you ever felt like the forces of nature were working against your life and its progress? Maybe you feel like that this morning. You say, Eric, I have a disease process in my body, and it is a mess. My body's working against me. Maybe you face a storm in which you suffered damage. 
COVID, tornadoes, floods. Jesus is Lord over all the forces of nature. Let his walking on the water soak in. You think people in Western Kentucky haven't asked questions about December's tornado? Had a friend and his wife and their little boy are in the car driving down the road and a big old oak tree next to the road decided right at the decisive moment that it could land right on the top of the uh, car in the passenger side where his wife was seated and pin her against the dashboard and just decided to fall over in that moment. The timing could not have been more perfect and tragic. Her back was hurt. She has to be a little careful, but uh, substantially God preserved her through that. But you know, how do you face something like that? You say, what that? what's that? In a broken world, the forces of nature groaning and travailing, waiting to be redeemed. Who is the king? What is his kingdom like? Please note that Jesus came to his followers in the midst of the struggle. They are frightened. He identifies himself. I am. It is the word of Christ and his identity that changes everything. I am is here. Now there's two things that go together here. One is his words. I am. Don't be afraid. And secondly, it's his deeds. He walks across the water. He gets in the boat and they're at the shore. And both of those screamed out loud, I am the living God in whom there is no lack and with whom nothing is impossible. Wow. What flipped the disciples? It was this word of assurance. I am is here. They went from fear to awe, from near death to delight. I love the word glad in verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And wouldn't you have been glad as well? I love that. This is a great pattern. It is Jesus that changes the calculus no matter what. In the midst of the storm, it was this word from Christ about his identity that changed everything. In fact, in the storm, they came to understand something about his identity that they would never have understood apart from the storm. It's what makes the struggle glorious. Well, the third way that this story teaches us about real life is this. Life in our broken world is better with Jesus in the boat. There are two experiences of the disciples. One, without Jesus in the boat. And two, with Jesus in the boat. And can we not just all agree that the better experience was with Jesus in the boat? Fear is banished with Jesus in the boat. Everything settled down when Christ entered their circumstances. They were glad, here's the word, to take him into the boat, to receive him into the boat. It's the word that John uses. It's built off the stem in John chapter 1. He, Jesus, came into his own, 
and his own received him. That's the word, received him not. But to as many as received him, that's the word. To them he gave the authority to be the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So to receive Christ is the same as to believe in Christ. It's one of our four R's. It's to rely upon Christ with unique faith as the hope of our salvation. So as you read this story, a simple question comes to our hearts. Have you taken Jesus Christ onto the craft of your life? Is Jesus in your boat? Has God brought you here this morning to invite Jesus into your boat? Remember, pre-Jesus being in the boat, it was fear and dread and the assumption that death was right around the corner without hope. With Jesus in the boat, there was gladness. The storm was over, and they got to the destination where they were going. Things worked out a lot better with Jesus in the boat. Do you have Jesus in the boat? It's Palm Sunday, 2022. We could remember it. When did you begin your relationship with Jesus? Eric, I remember that Sunday. I invited Jesus into my boat. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has God brought you here? If you're online this morning, are you listening along? Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? You say, Eric, I don't even know what that is. I don't know. How would I begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Think of A, B, C. Number one, you need to acknowledge your sin. All of us have sinned and are separated from God because of our sin. And our relationship with Christ begins when we acknowledge who we really are, sinners, and who he really is, a sinlessly perfect Savior who is holy. B, A, acknowledge our sin. B, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust him for our hope. We trust in him. Who is he? He's the Lamb of God, remember? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace fell on him. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. We believe on Jesus Christ. We rely upon him. And in acknowledging our sin and believing in him, we come to be forgiven. And we begin a relationship with Christ. And that brings us to C, we commit ourselves to him. Or as the old lyricist put it in the old gospel hymn, I will live for him who died for me. Is Jesus Christ in your boat this morning? You say, Eric, I, I'm afraid of life. I'm afraid of this circumstance. I'm discouraged. Is Jesus in your boat? Life's different with Jesus in the boat. You say, Eric, how can I get started? You would simply bow the head of your heart and say, God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ and receive him today and begin with him. And I purpose to commit my life to him. Will you help me get started with a relationship with him? If you are praying that prayer, if God is opening your heart, we want to be beside you to cheer you on. There was a day 
in all of our lives who know Jesus Christ as our Savior where we began a relationship with him. Acknowledge our sin, believe on him, and commit our life to him. Why don't you invite Jesus into your boat today? Now, there are two dimensions of this boat. You can look at this story and think of individually how we face storms individually. No two of our storms are the same. No, we all face stuff in a broken world, but it's not the same. Jesus is with us in our individual storms if we let him in the boat. But also the church has been viewed as a boat through the years. It may stem from the ark and God using that boat to preserve Noah and those few with him who believed the promise of God that judgment was coming but salvation would come if they would get in the boat. Augustine wrote in the 5th century, Darkness is increasing, love waxing cold, iniquity abounding. These are the waves that agitate the ship. The storm's arid winds are the clamors of revilers. Thence love's waxing cold, thence waves do swelling, and the ship is tossed. In a hostile world, in a world hostile to Jesus, his followers feel the tension and face the heat. We need to just stay to the end of the story. For him that endureth to the end, the same will be saved, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13. John Milne said this, It would be difficult to find a more telling picture of the church. Here is a small handful of people seemingly remote from the land where most people live their lives, apparently irrelevant to the great issues confronting the world. It is tossed by the winds of secularism without and controversy and uncertainty within out of touch with its point of departure, unsure of its whereabouts, and with no clear destination ahead. All the while, its members, like the disciples in the storm, strain at the oars of good works and ministry, making no apparent headway in the process. Crucially, they have no manifest conviction that Jesus, the head and Lord of the church, is anywhere in sight. And Milne closes his quote with a little phrase in the text, It is dark. Oh, church, be encouraged. Christ is in the storm. Christ sees us. Christ is praying for us. Christ is coming to us. Christ is in the boat. Whom shall we fear? What shall we fear? Jesus intervenes in our time of trouble and brings us to safety. That's what kingdom life is about. A great Savior who is sufficient, who's with us all the way home, no matter what we face indeed all hail king jesus come to our boat come in afresh to our lives enter our church afresh and bring what only you can bring king jesus what a king what a companion in life's boat let's pray father i think of my cousin at his mother's casket on wednesday who told me, Eric, I don't know what people do who do not have Jesus Christ in their life. He was extolling the virtue of Jesus being in the boat. Oh, Lord, deliver us from our fears. 
Give us courage. Remind us that Jesus is coming. Remind us that he's the Lord, the sovereign Lord over the storm. Remind us of your presence. Show us your glory. Remind us that in this journey home, you're going to see it through. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. What a Savior. What a great Lord. You're at work in Calvary. The best thing we have going for us, Lord, is you're in the boat. And you're the captain of our salvation. And we look to you this morning and anticipate the day when everyone will recognize what we know to be true. That Jesus Christ reigns as King. Now encourage our hearts this story will come to us in our storms surmount the difficulties and show yourself to be who you are I am the I am who is here and sustains his own